Do you suspect or even know if your teenager is using drugs? Do you struggle with figuring out what to do next? Do you feel overwhelmed, scared, or angry? Well, you are not alone. This is the Teen Drug Abuse Podcast, where we explore all the signs of teen drug abuse, reveal science-based impact, and share potential solutions that might just be the next thing you need to try. Here's your host, Ziv Raviv. Hello and welcome to the Teen Drug Abuse Podcast. Today we have a special guest that is Rabbi Benny Zippel, who is the Executive Director of Chabad Lubavitch of Utah. He's also the Founder and Executive Director of Project Heart since 1992, and he's been helping uh, parents of teens that use drugs in, in a very special way and has a very a unique point of view as a Jewish community leader. As a person that is working with teens, I am really excited to learn from Benny and hear from your point of view. Hello, Rabbi Benny Zippel. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Hello. How are you? Good. Thank you. Very excited about this opportunity to interview you and learn a little bit about your vast experience. Please uh, share with us a little bit about what is uh, the Heart Organization and what's your uh, involvement in this issue. Of drug abuse with teens. So I want to make it very clear that I am actually not a mental health expert, a mental health professional. I do not hold a degree in social work or in psychology or in psychiatry about a rabbi who was sent by the Rebbe to the state of Utah. And I've been in the state of Utah exactly 31 years, this time 31 years ago, March, February, March of 1992. I came to Utah, just I thought that what I was sent here for was to just start a Jewish community and reaching out to people the way Chabad does all over the world. Little did I come out to find, find out, as they call it in English, on-the-job training, so to speak. The first December that I was here in town, December of 92, I received a phone call from a father, a Jewish father in Southern California who let me know that his 15-year-old son was in a rehab in Provo, Utah, as a town about 45 miles south of Salt Lake City. And Hanukkah was coming up, and he wanted me to reach out to the boy and celebrate Hanukkah with him, which I did without really knowing what I was getting myself into, what, why the boy was there. I couldn't understand why a 15-year-old Jewish boy from California, with all the Jewish resources that are available in California, what he was doing in Utah, specifically in Provo, Utah, which is definitely not a Jewish community by any stretch of the imagination. So I went to see this boy, and we had a conversation. We celebrated Hanukkah, and then sort of part in halfway into the conversation, I asked him if he was the only Jewish boy, the only, the only Jewish student in this program. And he looked at me like I'm coming from a different planet, and he took me around the school, and he started pointing out Jewish kids. and. It was brought to my attention right there and then that about probably 15 to 20 percent of the school population in Provo, Utah, was Jewish. And I said, well, the Rebbe taught us that if you see something that is of concern to you, don't just moan and groan about it. Do something about it. So I decided right there and then to establish what is now known as Chabad Obavich of Utah Project Heart. At the time, Project Heart stood for Hebrew education for at-risk teens, 
And I decided to start calling around uh, treatment centers in the state of Utah and found out that on any given year throughout the state of Utah, which is a pretty big state, there are probably between three and 500 Jewish kids that are struggling with substance abuse, with depression, with ADHD, with anxiety, with uh, suicidal ideations, girls with eating disorders that are all here in Utah. And so it is now for the last 30 plus years that I've been dealing with them, visiting them every week, provide these treatment centers are private institutions that are non-denominational. They don't adhere, they're not associated with any specific faith whatsoever. So I'm just there, I'm there to bring any and every possible aspect of Judaism for these kids who often have no contact with anything Jewish since they have been sent here by their parents. In the last 30 years, we've had a lot of kids from Israel. We currently have several kids from Israel, from Europe, definitely from the United States, Canada. We had a girl here from the Far East, from Hong Kong. And so I've been involved the last 30 years working with what I call my unpolished gems. This is the metaphor I like to use that they are gems. Every single one of them is a gem. They just haven't gotten a chance to become polished gems, and they come here to Utah for polishing. Um, gives you a general idea of what it's like. So I wanted to understand more about the, like the mechanics of your work and mostly about how it affects kids, for teens, from your experience. What are some of the results and transformations you saw in Project Hearts. So I'm actually going to send you a video link. I don't think I sent it to you yet for you to watch. We had a young man here from Yerushalayim back probably 20, 25 years ago, roughly. He tells his own story, and I'll send you the link. He was sent here by his parents as the typical, stereotypical, out-of-control Israeli-American teenager from American parents who was abusing drugs and was completely out of control. And once the police got involved and he got himself into real legal trouble, he came here to Utah, and that's where Akiva and I met. And Baruch Hashem, he worked the program. He ended up getting himself totally clean from drugs, making a complete 180 degrees turn in his life, went back to Israel, served in the in the Tzahal, in the IDF, Baruch Hashem. Went to college, became a psychotherapist, and today is actually a very successful psychotherapist in Jerusalem, which just proves my point, and that you know these kids, some of them are suffering from PTSD, some of some of them are suffering from depression, from anxiety, from all kinds of mental health related issues, and since they don't know how to cope with it, in many cases they are too embarrassed, awkward uncomfortable in dealing with it and coming out with whatever is troubling them. So what they try to do is basically self-medicate and basically take drugs and in the hopes that the drugs will numb their feeling of pain and anguish or whatever is torturing, tormenting them, only to find out that the drugs actually will not do the job. And what I like to use as a metaphor is when it comes to a physical ailment, like people, have, let's say, suffering from a, a headache that manifests itself 
on a daily basis or on a weekly basis or whenever it is. You can take a Tylenol, you can take a, a pill one time, two, three, four, five, ten. And then you come to the conclusion as to, wait, instead of using a pill as a Band-Aid, why don't I get down to the root cause and see what is causing that? There must be something else underneath my hood, to use the metaphor of a car, that I need to reach into and see what is troubling me. And so that's really what these treatment centers do here in Utah. They use different modalities of therapy, CBT, DBT, EMDR, brain spotting, and so on and so forth, to try and get through to the root cause as to what's troubling the young man or the young woman, the kid that's over here, which they're using drugs to self-medicate with. And why don't we see if we're able to help them somehow overcome the inner pain to the point where the drugs are no longer needed to dull their inner pain. What would you say to a parent that uh, calls you and asks for your advice when they, their teen is uh, abusing drugs and they are afraid to send their kid to rehab? Number one, before anything else, the first piece of advice that I would give them is validate him. Don't try and dismiss it or worse yet, discipline him and be angry at them and lock them up or take away their cell phone or whatever it is. Number one, validate that there is a concern. Tell your child, I love you. I care about you. I see your suffering. I see your self-medicating. I see you're reaching out to other methods. There's obviously something there that's hurting you. And the fact that you're in pain makes me feel in pain. And because I love you and I care about you, I want to help you. Number two, if parents are afraid to send their kid to therapy, reach out to me. I can be reached out to via my email address, which is rabbi, R-A-B-B-I, at jewishutah.com. Again, rabbi at jewishutah.com. I'd be happy to put you in touch with other parents from Israel and not from the United States, from Canada, from different places that have sent their kids and understand that if your child came home one day, God forbid, with a swollen face from a tooth abscess or limping or, or whatever, basically demonstrating symptoms of a physical ailment, you would be ready to turn the world upside down and find the right therapy, the right surgery, the right, the right solution to overcome the kid's problem. It just so happens that when it comes to mental health, because mental health cannot be detected in a black and white fashion, meaning you cannot send a kid to a lab with a mental health problem and do an MRI or a CT scan or even a blood test that says, you know, this is the problem. Mental health is very abstract. So a lot of parents tend to sweep it under the rug, tend to push it off and say, well, you know, if I don't acknowledge the elephant in the room, the elephant will eventually disappear. And unfortunately, it is not so. If you don't acknowledge the elephant in the room, the elephant will go nowhere, will stay right there and it will smell more and will grow and will be filthier. And it's just going to get more and more difficult. So don't be afraid. Deal with it. There are resources available. 
and there are there is guidance and help available. And if you're facing that problem, you have to deal with it. What makes the process of a team that goes into rehab different when they get some support from the heart organization as well? So basically, a lot of kids come over here. Many of them, they get brought here to Utah by an escort service, but like a transportation service. They will pick them up in Israel, we'll pick them up in Hong Kong, we'll pick them up in Europe, we'll pick them up wherever they are, bring them here. The way I was told by many kids, they feel that everybody out here in their rehab is out to essentially change them, make them aware of their mistakes, make them aware of their shortcomings, make them aware of their poor behavior. And the message that I hear from me is a message of love. I love you because of what you are, who you are, the way Hashem has created it, created you. And I want to help guide you and nurture you that you can discover the gem within yourself. I'm not here to criticize you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to love you and help you discover your inner self. And a lot of the kids have found that very empowering, very enriching, very supporting, and have shared with me how much it has meant to them, especially throughout their stay at a very vulnerable time in their lives. What are some of the advice you can tell parents who want to support their kid after their teen already started the rehab program? So parents call me all the time from many different places. And there seems to be one question gets repeated over and over and over, which I really don't care for. I find it very shallow, very inappropriate. Parents ask me, Rabbi, bottom line is I need to know what is a success rate? What guarantee do I have that my kid will come out normal or fixed from this? And it's like I can reverse the question with another question. I can say, what guarantee do you have that your child, that you will be alive tomorrow? None. You have no guarantees. But what I do want to say is that in dealing with literally thousands and thousands of parents throughout the years, I've come across some parents, some of them may say it, some of them may not say it, may, but they may imply it. And basically their attitude is, okay, Rabbi Zippel, my son or my daughter is off the wall. They're crazy. They're using drugs. They're behaving in a crazy way. I'm sending them to Utah. You and the therapist, fix them, please, for me. And when they're fixed, give me a jingle and I'll bring them back. And there I'm willing to give you my personal guarantee that 99.99% with that kind of attitude, it's not going to work. If you have the attitude that like, you know, my son or my daughter is crazy or they're using drugs and fix them and bring them back, it's not going to work. What is going to work is with the attitude, and that's what the advice they want to give to parents, is my son or my daughter, my child who is on drugs is only a symptom of a greater cause. And a greater cause is the family unit is broken. And so what we need to do is we need to work extra hard to restore harmony, love, and peace amongst the entire family. It's not only the child, it's not only the boy or the girl that needs to be fixed. The entire family needs help and guidance and therapy and love and, and direction in coming together And of course, the boy or the girl, the child that is actually the one abusing drugs, is the symptom, but there's a greater cause behind it, 
which we have to address and help everybody healing together. And that's what, what I refer to as the holistic process in the healing, where we have to heal everybody together, because it's never the child alone that's hurting. He or she may be the one who is actually here in Utah in therapy, but it's the entire family that's hurting. A lot of times parents are hurt in the process of finding out that their kid has been uh, abusing drugs. And the trust between the parents and the, and the kid, their kid, is broken. Sometimes mm-hmm. even it shatters. Uh, so by the time they get to the rehab, there is no trust left. How do you repair the relationship after the kid goes out of the program and is clean? How do you actually build a relationship? How do you actually form trust? Is that even possible? So- It's totally possible, totally, totally, totally possible. Basically, what I explained to the kids is that trust in general, trust from using drugs or trust in this world, trust is something that is earned. Nobody has trust just because my name is Benny Zippel and I just woke up this morning and there were, therefore the world needs to trust me. It doesn't work like that. If I want people to trust me, I have to earn the trust. And so the kids have to be told in a loving but firm way that, hey, because of what has transpired over here, like you said, you have breached our trust. But it's not forever. We're willing to give you a chance to rebuild the trust. But in order to rebuild the trust, it has to be earned. And you have to demonstrate that you have learned from your mistakes And trust can essentially be rebuilt. So one of the things that I very, very frequently encourage parents to do, which I know it's a costly project, but it usually works a lot better. There are two different types of therapy here in Utah. There's what is called residential therapy, which is RTC, Residential Treatment Center. But the real good way to go about it is to first send a child in what is called WT, which stands for wilderness therapy. So kids go into the wilderness, into the midbar for eight to 12 weeks, where they are completely removed from all the elements. They are in the desert, in the Utah desert, of course, surrounded by staff. They're not by themselves. They have staff around them 24-7. The therapists come out once a week to do therapy with the kids. And one of the most important aspects of the wilderness therapy is besides being removed from all the elements, not having cell phone reception, not having any connection with the outside world, but during the wilderness therapy process, there is a mandated letter writing process where the parents are the ones to initiate the relationship, which in many cases, like you are alluding to, in many cases is almost entirely broken. The parents write to their child to their son or their daughter what is called an accountability letter basically they say you know dear child this is what led us to us sending you to the wilderness therapy because of this and that and this and that and basically list up all the incidents and basically your trust that we had in you has been breached and it's not an accusatory letter but it's a very st- clear letter which the therapists coach the parents how to write that it's emailed to the therapist, the therapist takes it with him or herself into the wilderness, 
reads it with the child and processes it, every step of it, processes with the child the message that the parents are trying to convey. And then there's a mandated letter writing back from the child to the parent, where the child can just say, you know, mom, dad, I hate you. You're the worst mother in the world. You're the worst father in the world. You have neglected me. You have abandoned me. You have abused me. You have whatever, whatever it is under mine. And the child is guided and helped and coached in how to write back. And this happens on a weekly basis where the parents write a letter, send it to the therapist. The therapist processes it with the child. Child writes a letter back. And little by little, things are rebuilt. I know it sounds a lot easier than it is. In many cases, the situation is really, really strained, but it's done 365 days a year. It's done all the time, and it really does work. What do you say to a parent that shares with you that their kid objects the idea of going to rehab uh, strongly, and he is afraid that if he does this and forces his kid to go to rehab, that will basically destroy the relationship? So that question is posed to me an average of seven days a week. I have it all the time. And I don't mean to be a bearer of bad news. But on the other hand, I tell the parents that I do understand their situation. But I also have to understand that so long that a child is under the age of 18, is a minor, they have the legal support on their side that they can send the child to Utah, to wilderness and to rehab without their consent. Once the child has turned 18, that sort of frightful 11.59 p.m. and 59 seconds of their English 18th birthday, as far as the law is concerned, you can bang your head into the wall as much as you want, but the parents essentially become powerless. The law says you can do nothing when your child is 18. And what I've seen throughout my 30 years plus of involvement in Project Art is that parents who reached out to me when the child was like 14, 15, 16, and like you said, they were afraid to act upon it. So they have decided to do nothing. And then the child basically got himself or herself deeper and deeper and deeper in drug abuse. The relationship was definitely not there, definitely not a healthy relationship. And now where they're at is that the child is 20 or 21, like it happened to me yesterday, twice, actually from Israel. Child is 20, 21. And then it's like, okay, Rabbi, what do I do now? I don't have a relationship with my child because they are a pothead. They are just stoned on drugs all the time. They come home at three o'clock in the morning. They leave, they this, they that. And now they can do nothing. So what I'm saying is, it's not like the alternative that if you don't send them to rehab, then, oh, the love relationship, the lovey-dovey relationship between parents and child is going to be amazing. That usually is not the case. The child being somebody who is abusing drugs is not exactly going to have a healthy relationship with parents that are against it. So... It's almost like saying, and I don't mean to downplay anything, so please don't take this the wrong way, but it's almost like saying, well, my son or my daughter has an abscess in their tooth, they have a horrific infection in their tooth, and if I force them into the dentist's office, they will never talk to me again, 
because of all the, the trauma of being in a dentist chair. So what do I do? Well, my advice to them would be just do it because at the end of the day, they will be grateful that you have helped them overcoming the infection, even though at the actual time when they're there in the dentist chair or God forbid on the operating table or God forbid doing who knows what kind of therapy, they are definitely upset about it. And I do understand that. But you have to show them that you love them by validating them and helping them overcome whatever is tormenting them. Some parents feel like they are willing to do the work. They are sending their teen to a rehab center. They mm-hmm. are working on themselves. They, they get therapy and help and support. But then when the kid comes home, they are going to the same school and they're going to see the same triggers the same social powers, society powers that will might affect their kid and might tempt them to go back into drug abuse. What would you say to such parents? Any good therapist that really gets involved in a situation where understands that there are triggers from the outside, let's say kids that have been bullied, kids that have been abused sexually, emotionally, verbally, physically, God forbid, by peers, by teachers, by, I don't know, by thugs, by other people. One of the basic components that is necessary in order for a kid to come back from rehab and continue his or her life successfully is a complete restart. When I say a complete restart, not always, and thank God it's not very common, but I have seen, I have even seen case where parents have had to relocate from where they live. They've really had to pick themselves up and go to a different community. But even if they stay in the same community, definitely changing school, definitely changing the, the group of friends is a necessary component, a necessary element in the rehabilitation of the child and of the parents, because the parents also need to have a new set of friends and acquaintances that can be supportive to the child. So it's important to know that if you're going to bring a child back after he or she has done all the work and put them back in the same school, in the same youth group, in the same basketball clinic, in the same, I don't know, whatever it is, it's not going to look, it's not, it's really not going to be very successful. Major changes need to be done. Rabbi Benny Zipper, this is an amazing, I have so many more questions. I will uh... Suffice with one more because I want to make sure that uh, this is uh, easy to consume as a parent and not overloading. You have experience of so many years seeing these teens go in and out of rehab centers and reestablish their lives. Do you see a change in the type of drugs that our kids are involved in, that teens are involved in these days or over the years? And what is your opinion about weed specifically in terms of like the risk and the, the need for rehab? So first and foremost, there is a tremendous downturn in the way society deals with weed, with marijuana. It's almost like, oh, you know, it's marijuana, it's weed, it's only an entry drug, it's no big deal. It's like taking, uh, I've had people tell me, I've had kids telling me, Rabbi, nowadays, smoking weed is like when you grew up smoking cigarettes. Well, that's a problem because weed is an entry-level drug 
It's very easy to get. It is relatively inexpensive in comparison to other drugs. And it starts messing up your brain. And then it is very, very unlikely that a person may, I'm not justifying, God forbid, smoking weed. I'm 180% against it. But as it is, as it is, it's, some people say, well, you know, I will only smoke weed. There's no such thing as only smoke weed. Weed is an, is an entry-level drug. And from weed, it usually escalates to other harder drugs. And so I would very strongly urge the parents of a child who is, quote, only doing weed, that they not take it as only doing weed, but that they act very aggressively and validate, first of all, before even the child to themselves, there is a problem here. There is a problem. Why is this child using weed? Am I not in touch enough with him or with her? Even though you didn't ask me this, I will tell you my two cents worth of advice, of unsolicited advice that you, didn't, you did not ask me. But I urge all parents of kids that are just beginning to dabble with weed or with whatever it is, or for that matter, even of parents or even of kids who didn't, don't deal with drugs, have an open communication with your kids. Take out every child of yours individually, not as a group, not as a family trip to go to watch a soccer game. Take one child every week, one at a time. Take them out, go for a walk, ask them how they're doing, ask them how they're feeling, ask them if they are secure about themselves, ask them if they sleep well at night, ask them if they have any fears, any concerns. It's important that we validate it, we validate our kids, that we love them, that we care about them. And when we see them, even the slightest involvement in drugs like we, like marijuana, to realize for us, this is a problem that has to be dealt with in the strongest of ways. Rabbi Benny Zippel, where can people learn more about what you do and about heart? Uh, rabbi, send me an email to rabbi at r-a-b-b-i at jewishutah, U-T-A-H, rabbijewishutah.com. I will send you now, send you as in, what is it, Raviv? Yes. I will send you some links, some YouTube links that you can post on your website. And if people, if I can help people, by all means, I'm here. Thank you so much for your time and for all that you do to help teens and their families. By Benny Zippel of Hard and of uh, Chabad uh, of Utah. Then thank you guys for listening to the Teen Drug Abuse Podcast. listening to the teen drug abuse podcast to get additional resources and support go to teendrugabuse.co